Welcome to Celebrate Poe, Episode 44, Taylor Swift, The Lakes, and What Are My Words Worth? The opening melody is Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song, Come Rest in This Bosom. This month's episodes are about some of the English writers who heavily influenced Edgar Allan Poe, especially the English Romantic poets. My name is George Bartley, and thanks for downloading this podcast, and please consider subscribing if you haven't already and writing a review. This is the second and final episode about William Wordsworth. Before the ghost of Mr. William Wordsworth flies out, let me assure you that Celebrate Poe has not faded away. My excellent podcast host, Buzzsprout, was maliciously attacked this week, and it temporarily took down the host. Apparently, this is the first time anything like this has happened in their 11 years of business, and they they have done a fantastic job of being transparent and honest about what was going on, and that made me feel a lot better. So I'm not exactly sure how or if this episode can be uploaded. I I think it will make it, but I'm very eager to check and see. Uh, and I ha- Because I have a lot of cool things planned, and I'm very eager to get them out there. I just found out that the attackers attempted to basically hold the, hostaging, uh, hold the hosting site and uh, all its activities hostage with a significant ransom sum. Fortunately, Buzzsprout refused to pay and reported the criminals to the authorities and Buzzsprout donated the ransom amount to two great organizations helping people in Texas suffering from the weather crises, Feeding Texas and Front Steps. Don't worry, none of this will affect you, except that I thought I'd better give Buzzsprout a, a break by not, any, uh, not uploading any episodes this week. Uh, it's a small thing, but uh, this week they've had enough to deal with. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. Greetings, Mr. Wordsworth. Now, today I'd like to start by talking to Mr. William Wordsworth about a poem that many people feel uh, is your greatest. Lines written a few miles above Tintern Abbey. Like I wandered lonely as a cloud, lines written a few miles above Tintern Abbey was also inspired by a walk with your sister Dorothy. Many scholars, and not a few members of the general public, believe it is your deepest and most inspired poem. The poem has uh, its origin in my personal history. I had previously visited the area as a greatly confused 23-year-old in, I I believe it was 1793. Since that time, I would like to think that uh, I had matured. Uh, This was also a time when my poetical relationship with Mr. Samuel Taylor Coleridge had begun. Uh, I was so enraptured as a result of my emotional reaction that I composed the poem in my head, beginning when I left Tintern Abbey and not physically writing it down until I reached Bristol. I would like to think that the poem transcends all nature poetry written previously, that it utilizes a far more philosophical and intellectual engagement with the subject. 
I know that Mr. Poe was accused of writing works such as Eureka that many members of the public felt bordered on pantheism. Uh, Could you tell us what pantheism is? I am glad you mentioned pantheism. Uh, I think it is quite germane. Basically, though, pantheism is belief that reality, the things we see and can touch and think and feel, is identical with divinity. Mr. Wordsworth, I'm quite excited to hear your rendition of Tintern Abbey, and possibly you could give us some analysis of the line. Certainly. Lines written a few miles above Tintern Abbey. Now, first, I I had not seen the River Wee for years, and revisiting it filled me with a sense of tranquil restoration. Uh, I recognized something in the landscape, uh, nay, I internalized the landscape to the point that it uh, became uh, a source of inspiration. Five years have passed five summers with the length of five long winters, and again I hear these waters rolling from their mountain springs with a soft inland murmur. I tried to give these lines a quiet, moving musical sound, weaving together a description of nature and its strong psychological effects. Once again, Do I behold these steep and lofty cliffs that on a wild, secluded scene impress thoughts of more deep seclusion and connect the landscape with the quiet of the sky? And again, once again, I see these hedgerows, hardly hedgerows, little lines of sportive wood run wild, these pastoral farms, green to the very door, and wreaths of smoke, sent up in silence from among the trees. These scenes are are like an exhilarating blessing to my memory and remind me of acts of kindness, no matter how great or small. These beauteous forms are through a long absence have not been to me as is a landscape to a blind man's eye but oft in lonely rooms and mid the din of towns and cities I have owed to them, in hours of weariness, sensations sweet, felt in the blood and felt along the heart. And passing even into my purer mind with tranquil restoration, feelings too of unremembered pleasure, such perhaps as have no slight or trivial influence of that best portion of a good man's life, his little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. I wrote that I not only felt the serene bliss that occurs from acts of kindness, but that there is an even deeper power of joy. Nor less I trust to them I may have owed another gift, of aspect more sublime, that blessed mood in which the burthen of the mystery, in which the heavy and the weary weight of all this unintelligible world is lightened, that serene and blessed mood in which the affectations gently lead us on, until the breath of this corporal frame and even the motion of our human blood almost suspended We are laid asleep in body, 
and become a living soul, while an eye made quiet by the power of harmony and the deep power of joy, we see into the life of things. The mountains and lonely streams have taught me that loss always results in growth. I am not the young person I was, but I have a deeper sense of hope. Perhaps all I can say is that nature and I are now one. And so I dare to hope, though changed, no doubt, from what I was when first I came among these hills, when, like a row, I bounded o'er the mountains by the sides of the deep rivers and the lonely streams wherever nature led, more like a man flying from something that he dreads than one who sought the thing he loved. For nature then, the coarse pleasures of my boyish days and their glad animal movements all gone by, to me was all in all. I cannot paint what then I was. That time is past, and all its aching joys are now no more, and all its dizzy raptures. Not for this faint I, nor mourn, nor murmur, other gifts have followed for such loss, I would believe, abundant recompense. And here we move on to the wisdom of age, for I have learned to look on nature, not as in the hour. Now, during my thoughtless youth, uh, I tended to rush wildly around the landscape. It is only now that I realize the power that nature has upon me, even when I am not there physically. Oh, thoughtless youth, but hearing oftentimes the sad, still music of humanity, not harsh nor grating, though of ample power to chasten and subdue, even so I feel a need to add a sense of the spiritual and sublime to my moral insights. And I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts, a sense sublime of something far more deeply interfused, whose dwelling is the light of setting suns, and the round ocean, and the living air, and the blue sky, and the mind of man, a motion and a spirit that impels all thinking things, all objects of all thought, and rolls through all things, well pleased to recognize in nature and the language of the sense, the anchor of my purest thoughts, the nurse, the guide, the guardian of my heart and soul of all my moral being. Here I turn to address my dear sister Dorothy. She stands there silently as witness to my vision and the belief that all that we behold is full of blessings. Nor, perchance, if I were not thus taught, should I the more suffer my genial spirits to decay? For thou art with me, here upon the banks of this fair river, thou, my dearest friend, my dear, dear friend, and in my voice I catch the language of my former heart and read my former pleasure in the shooting lights of thy wild eyes. I then enter a state of sincere meditation and share those feelings with Dorothy. 
And this prayer I make, knowing that nature never did betray the heart that loved her. Tis her privilege through all the years of this our life to lead from joy to joy, for she can also so inform the mind that is within us, so impress with quietness and beauty, and so feed with lofty thoughts that neither evil tongues, rash judgments, nor the sneers of selfish men, nor greetings where no kindness is, nor all the dreary intercourse of daily life shall e'er prevail against us or disturb our cheerful faith, that all which we behold is full of blessings. Therefore let the moon shine on thee in thy solitary walk, and let the misty mountain winds be free to blow against thee, and in after years, when these wild ecstasies shall be matured into a sober pleasure, when thy mind shall be a mansion for all lovely forms, thy memory be as a dwelling place for all sweet sounds and harmonies. Oh, then, if solitude or fear or pain or grief should be thy portion, with what healing thoughts of tender joy wilt thou remember me and these my exhortations? The poem concludes with the final words of the prayer, Nor perchance if I should be where I no more can hear thy voice, nor catch from thy wild eyes these gleams of past existence, wilt thou then forget that on the banks of this delightful stream we stood together, and that I, so long, a worshipper of nature, Hither came, unwearied in that service, rather say with warmer love, oh, with far deeper zeal of holier love, nor wilt thou then forget? Oh, yes, I must not forget lines written in early spring, a poem included with the second edition of Lyrical Ballads. In the preface I wrote, uh, What is a poet? He is a man speaking to men. Some may see this as, as a motivation where I moved away from the poet having a higher aim in life and some religious talent to write in order to educate others. I wanted to write verse that appears simple, the common language of those around me. I heard a thousand blended notes while in a grove I sat reclined in that sweet mood when pleasant thoughts bring sad thoughts to the mind. To her fair works did nature link the human soul that thou through me ran. And much it grieved my heart to think what man is made of man. Through primrose tufts in that green bower, the periwinkle trailed its wreaths. And tis my faith that every flower enjoys the air it breathes. The birds around me hopped and played. Their thoughts are I cannot measure. But in the least motion with which they made, it seemed a thrill of pleasure. The budding twigs spread out their fan to catch the breezy air, and I must think, do all I can, that there was pleasure there. In this belief from heaven be sent, if such be nature's holy plan, have I not reason to lament what man has made of man? The poem Lucy Gray was a result of 
an occasion when snow was all around me. One easily realizes that Lucy Gray is a narrative poem because it tells a rather compelling story. And also, I was inspired by a story that Dorothy had told me about a little girl who was caught in a snowstorm. I I, I do not feel necessary to add my analysis because the poem is characterized by a narrative nature, and as one might say currently, I feel it speaks for itself. Oft I had heard of Lucy Gray, and when I crossed the wild I chanced to see at break of day the solitary child. No mate, no comrade Lucy knew, she dwelt on a wide moor, the sweetest thing that ever grew beside a human door. You yet may spy the fawn at play, the hare upon the green, but the sweet face of Lucy Gray will never more be seen. Tonight will be a stormy night. You to the town must go and take a lantern, child, to light your mother through the snow. That father will I gladly do. Tis scarcely afternoon. The minister clock has just struck two, and yonder is the moon. At this the father raised his hook and snapped a faggot band. He plied his work, and Lucy took the lantern in her hand. Nor blither is the mountain row, with many a wanton stroke. Her feet disperse the powdery snow that rises up like smoke. The storm came on before its time. She wandered up and down, and many a hill did Lucy climb, but never reached the town. The wretched parents all that night went shouting far and wide, but there was neither sound nor sight to serve them for a guide. At daybreak on a hill they stood that overlooked the moor, and thence they saw the bridge of wood a furlong from their door. They wept and turning homeward cry, In heaven we all shall meet, when in the snow the mother spied the print of Lucy's feet. Then downwards from the steep hill's edge they tracked the footmark small, and through the broken hawthorn hedge and by the long stone wall, and then an open field they crossed, the marks were still the same. They tracked them on, nor ever lost, and to the bridge they came. They followed from the snowy blank these footmarks one by one into the middle of the plank, and further there were none. Yet some maintain that to this day she is a living child, that you may see sweet Lucy Gray upon the lonesome wild. O'er rough and smooth she trips along and never looks behind, and sings a solitary song that whistles in the wind. In, in 1843, I was asked to be Poet Laureate of England. Wow, that must have been a huge responsibility. That was my reaction, and uh, I originally refused the honor. My belief was that uh, I was simply far too advanced in years. But Prime Minister Robert Peel assured me that nothing would be required of me. So I became Poet Laureate of England, though I never wrote a verse. 
I intended the prelude, or growth of a poet's mind, an autobiographical poem, to be my masterpiece. The prelude was to be an introduction to a more philosophical poem called The Recluse, a work which I unfortunately never finished. One might say that the prelude is an extremely personal work. I began it when I was 28 and continued to work on it throughout my entire life. Now, during the last years of my earthly life, my views had been quite altered to be more closely akin to those of Christian orthodoxy, quite different from my youth, I must admit. I wrote, The works of man and face of human life, and lastly, from its progress, have we drawn faith in life endless, the sustaining thought of human being, eternity, and God. Let me conclude my portion of this episode with a short nine-line poem, My Heart Leaps Up. Upon an initial glance, the subject matter of the poem is an ordinary rainbow. But like so many of my works, if one looks deeper, he or she will find a deeper and sometimes even exhilarating meaning. I try to convey in the poem that individuals should try and maintain the sense of wonder that they had as a child, even as they become older and mature. I believe that nature, as symbolized by such creations as daffodils and rainbows, will always be divine. And now for the short poem. My heart leaps up when I behold a rainbow in the sky. So was it when my life began. So is it now I am a man. So be it when I shall grow old or let me die. The child is father of the man, and I could wish my days to be bound each to each by natural piety. Thank you, Mr. Botley. Thank you, Mr. Wordsworth. Oh, yes, I almost forgot to mention Taylor Swift. No, Taylor Swift does not sew clothes, but is an extremely popular singer whose almost every word and move is broadcast on social media. On the deluxe edition of the album Folklore, the final song uh, is an uh, introspective piece that Miss Swift wrote about her semi-retirement in the Lake District of England. The song has the lyric, I've come too far to watch some name-dropping sleaze, sort of a subtle dig at her well-known disputes with uh, Kanye West and Scooter Braun. Some critics say that the song is one of her best, I think so myself, and uh, channels Romantic-era poetry, a dreamy anthem about finding escape in a secluded area, much like William Wordsworth. One of the most prominent lines in the song, The Lakes, is, Take me to the lakes where all the poets want to die. But who are these poets? Well, Beatrix Potter, who wrote and illustrated the Peter Rabbit books, is one, and if you've seen the movie Miss Potter, the beautiful scenery in the movie is of the Lakes area. But uh, for our present purposes, the Lake Poets, I believe Miss Swift is referencing uh, the Lake Poets William Wordsworth, 
Samuel Taylor Coleridge, Robert Southey, and, and possibly William Wordsworth's sister, Dorothy. Perhaps her most direct reference to William Wordsworth is the wordplay on his name in the line, Tell me what are my words worth. Get it? What are my words worth? Okay, well, check out the video to the lakes on the Rolling Stone site listed in the show notes for this podcast episode. Or type Taylor Swift and the lakes in the search bar on YouTube. Sources for this episode include the Delphi Complete Works of William Wordsworth by William Wordsworth, Romantic Ecology, Wordsworth and the Environmental Tradition, William Wordsworth, Bloom's Modern Critical Views by Harold Bloom, William Wordsworth in Context by Andrew Bennett, William Wordsworth's Poetry, A Reader's Guide by Daniel Robertson, Wordsworth's Ethics by William Wordsworth and William Podkay, Edgar Allan Poe, A Critical Biography by author Hobson Quinn, The Poe Log, A Documentary Life of Edgar Allan Poe by Dwight R. Thomas and David K. Jackson, Poe and Place by Philip Edward Phillips, and the book and CD Accents, a Manual for Actors by Robert Blumenfeld. And check out my podcast website at Celebrate Poe, that's Celebrate Poe, all one word, dot buzzsprout.com. Click on the episode you want to learn more about to see its show notes and a transcript. Well, thank you very much for making it this far as we take a deep dive into the life and times and influences of America Shakespeare and how he has influenced our world. Join us for the next episode, The Sensuous Poet, as Celebrate Poe begins the first of the next generation of Romantic Poets. This would be John Keats in an episode I call The Sensuous Poet. The poets of the next generation were like literary rock stars, and this is where it really gets good. Again, thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, and join this podcast for the next episode, The Sensuous Poet.